If you have your Bible with you, you can open to Exodus chapter 24. bit of a change of pace now after spending 10 weeks in the Ten Commandments reading one verse or maybe a couple verses at most when you're talking about the Sabbath or something like that, to come now to a passage where we're going to read a section of Scripture is either going to be disconcerting for some of us or a breath of fresh air, I'm not sure which, but Exodus 24 Let me, before I read uh, uh, chapter 24, uh, which is, what is that, 18 verses, let me just sort of uh, bring us up to speed on um, the way that 24 fits with the Exodus storyline, because that will help us, I think, in the big picture, appreciate uh, some of the uh, unique events recorded in this chapter. One of the things that we, that we ought to do is that we ought to read 19 through 24, at the very least 19 through 24, we ought to consider that to be something of a little mini unit to be read together. And 19, chapter 19 and chapter 24, in some ways are, are sort of complementary bookends. And, it, and so it works something like this. After the Lord has brought His people out of Egypt through signs and wonders, and brought them through the Red Sea, and destroyed their enemy. He uh, leads them to Mount Sinai, and Mount Sinai is where, in chapter 19, he says, I've brought you to myself to make you a, a special people for my own possession, a kingdom of priests. Prepare yourself, because in three days I'm going to descend on the mountain to meet with you, And in that descent, arriving on the mountain to meet with his people in a special way, he then proceeds in chapter 20 through 23 to deliver to the people his law. So in light of the fact that I have redeemed you and brought you to myself to give you new life, chapter 19, chapters 20 through 23 say something about what that new life is going to look like in covenant relationship with the God who saved them. And then chapter 24 comes on the heels of that and is basically wrapping up, um, in some ways almost in a climactic way, this descending that the Lord has on Sinai. So what happens is in chapter 19, the Lord comes down on the mountain to meet with His people. And as we'll see here in just a minute, in chapter 24, now the people begin to move up the mountain to meet with God. In many ways, what we read in chapter in chapters 19 through 23 is all leading to this that we read in chapter 24. All right, so as we read and as you follow along, consider that that all that the Lord has been doing in Exodus up to this point, in many ways, is leading up to some of the unique privileges and blessings that we read about here in chapter 24. We'll expound on that here in just a moment. Exodus chapter 24, verse 1. Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and you will worship at a distance. Moses alone, however, shall come near to the Lord, but they will not come near, nor shall the people come up with him. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances, and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people, and they said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant, which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, 
And they saw the God of Israel. And under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel. And they saw God and they ate and drank. Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses arose with Joshua his servant, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. But to the elders he said, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a legal matter, let him approach them. Then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud. And to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, would you give your people understanding now and the ability to see your grace and your condescension in coming to sinful people in order to redeem them and to reconcile them to yourself. Help us also to see, Father, that what we see in outline form here in Exodus 24 is a pale shadow of the real substance of the better new covenant that we have through Jesus Christ and His blood. Help us, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's try to do Exodus 24 in this way. As in, in general, I think what Exodus 24 is doing, we could, we could say it in, in one of two ways. In one sense, what's happening in 24 is the, the covenant is being inaugurated. So, or is being sealed, is being enacted here at this point in time. Starting at chapter 19 through 23, the Lord is revealing what His covenant is going to look like, what it's going to mean, the fact that He is intending to enter into this covenant relationship with His people. And chapter 24 is where we actually see the people formally, officially entering into that covenant by the sacrifice and the sprinkling of the blood, which we'll get to in, in just a moment. Okay, but, but what we want to do is to consider that in the inauguration of the covenant, that practically speaking, what that means for God's people is that now that the covenant has been inaugurated, they are safe and secure in their fellowship with God because of the covenant. And one of the ways that that is demonstrated most clearly is by the dramatic reversal that happens in chapter 24. Remember back in chapter 19, one of the things that, that the Lord tells Moses to make sure that he, he communicates to the people is, make sure you tell the people that when I come down onto the mountain, that they are not to draw near to the mountain, and they are certainly not to come up. In other words, they cannot approach me. Chapter 24 opens up, and the very first words in chapter 24 is the Lord calling His people up. Not just to come near the mountain, to go up the mountain. Going up the mountain is in a, at least some sort of a figurative and yet realistic way, is getting closer to God, at least as far as the people are concerned. So start with me, before we look at the people ascending the mountain in, the, in the, the person of Moses and some of their representatives, let's start with the people themselves. We, we want to do three things here. We want to consider three truths that we can see being worked out in Exodus 24. Number one, that the people, and by extension we as God's people today, are sealed by the blood of the covenant. They are sealed in their covenant relationship by the sacrifice, by a blood sacrifice. That's what seals them in their relationship with God. 
Number two, that having been sealed, being made secure in that covenant relationship, God's people enjoy peace with Him. And by that we just don't simply mean peace in the sense that God is no longer looking to hurl lightning and thunder down on pitiful sinners to strike them dead, but peace in that they are brought near and can actually enter into God's presence without fear of being annihilated. That peace. And then number three, we want to say that with our being sealed in the blood of the covenant, along with the peace that we have now with God, that the ultimate hope of all of this is what we see at the end of chapter 24, that like Moses, but in even a greater way, we will see God. Number one, we are sealed by the blood of the covenant. One of the things that we, that we want to make sure that we understand correctly or that we, we discern rightly is the role that the obedience of the people, their commitment, their pledge, plays in the enacting of the covenant. So if you hold your place here in chapter 24 and you go back to chapter 19, before the Lord has ever come down on the Mount Sinai, when Moses is telling the people to get ready, if you look at 19 verse 8, We're told that after Moses said, the Lord is going to come, He's going to deliver His word to you, get ready to meet Him, 19.8, all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Go back to chapter 24. At this point in time, the people have heard, remember, God speaking from the mountain, delivering His Ten Commandments. Moses then receives um, an, an expounded version of that in chapters 21 through 23. Verse 3, chapter 24, verse 3, Moses comes and he recounts or he repeats all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And notice, just like they did before they had heard anything in chapter 19, the people say, all the words which the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then for good measure... They say it one more time down in verse 7. Moses takes the book of the covenant, he reads it in the hearing of the people, and they say, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. Three times, once in chapter 19, twice in chapter 24, the people pledge their obedience to the Lord to do what He commands them to do. And at no point in time... Is there ever the impression or the inclination communicated that this is a disingenuous or a problematic statement that the people make? In fact, later in Deuteronomy, as Moses is reviewing this portion of Israel's history with the people, he will say that God Himself, in hearing the people say, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, that the Lord Himself says, they are right in what they had said. He approves of this pledge of obedience and commitment to Him. The people are where they are because of what the Lord has done for them. He has saved them. He has redeemed them. He has brought them out of bondage and slavery in Egypt to be with Him, to live a new life that He has provided for them. But to say that God has done all of the work for them in saving and redeeming His people is not to minimize the importance of a redeemed people now living like redeemed people. Obedience in relationship to the Lord is essential. It's not optional. That's what we ought to see or what we ought to consider here. That it is good and right for the people to hear the word of the Lord and to say, I will do what the Lord has said. It is good and right for us to hear the words of the Lord as we read and as we hear it internally in our own minds. 
as we hear the scriptures being read to us in a small group study or as we gather together on Sunday morning, it is good and right for us to hear the word of the Lord and to say, all that the Lord has spoken, I will do. That is a good and right response. It is essential. But here's where we have to be very, very careful. Obedience is an essential component to this covenant relationship with the Lord. But obedience is not what effects the covenant. You understand what we mean by that? The point is, is that it's not the obedience of the people that creates this relationship with God. We've said it earlier before the obedience of the people is a response to what God has already done. They have already been made a people for God's own possession. Therefore, they will obey. They don't obey to enter into covenant with the Lord. They obey because they are in covenant with the Lord. And that is a huge, huge difference. Let's press it a little bit further. In the text here, in the way that this is laid out, not only is the obedience of the people not what creates the covenant relationship that they will enjoy with the Lord. All of that is created for them by God. Their obedience is a byproduct of what God has done. Not only does their obedience not create the covenant, their obedience does not even keep them in the covenant. Look in chapter 24 at verse 8. After the people have said, for the second time, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient, we read 24.8, So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. What seals them in their covenant relationship with God is not their obedience. It's the sacrificial blood. Listen, we move into 2023, and we probably have two kinds of people in here. I don't know, maybe there's a third odd kind that's somewhere straddling the fence, right? You got the people who are all about making the New Year's resolutions, and then you have people who are saying, New Year's resolutions are nuts, I'm not doing that, right? All right, whatever the case may be, let's just pretend like we're all about making New Year's resolutions, all right, just for the sake of the illustration, it is good and right for us as God's people to see areas in our life where we fall short of the glory of God, where we fall short in our obedience and devotion to Him, and to say, by God's help, I want to do better in this area. But if you begin to drift into the mindset or the attitude, sometimes even unconsciously, that it's your obedience that keeps you in right standing with God, you're missing the whole message of Scripture. Your obedience, your New Year's resolutions, I don't care how successful you are in keeping them or not, that is not what keeps you in right standing with God. You're not safe and secure in relationship with your Creator and your King because of your acts of obedience. You're safe and secure in your relationship with your Creator and King because the blood of the Lamb was shed to atone for your sins. And in the same way that none of your obedience could get you into that relationship to keep you safe and secure, no amount of obedience or disobedience for that matter is able to pull you out of that. Hold your place here and go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9 starting at verse 18. Listen to the way that Hebrews uses this very passage 
to make a point about the new covenant security that we enjoy because of the work of Christ. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 18. Therefore, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. The first covenant being what we're looking at in Exodus 24 right now. Even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment had been spoken by Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. And then notice, verse 21, And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say, all things are cleansed with blood, and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The people are not accepted into God's presence. The people are not accepted as God's people because of their work, because of their effort, because of their obedience. They are accepted because a sacrifice is made to atone for their sins and to cleanse them and to bind them in a covenant that God has created for them. In the same way, Hebrews would tell us, God has in this new covenant in Christ sealed and secured His people in a permanent relationship with Him, not through any acts of obedience, not through any works of righteousness that they can do, but by the blood of Christ that was shed to cleanse them, to purify them, and to inaugurate a new covenant that holds them fast from now and forever. Go back to Exodus 24. So notice now, now that the blood has been shed, now that the blood has been sprinkled on the people, now that the covenant has been inaugurated, has been enacted, notice what happens now. Verse 9, after he sprinkles the blood on the people, after he says, this is the blood of the covenant, inaugurating the beginning of the covenant. Then, verse 9, then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire as clear as the sky itself. Yet he did not stretch out his hand against the nobles of the sons of Israel, and they saw God, and they ate, and they drank. God has not changed from Exodus 19 and Exodus 20 to Exodus 24. One of the ways that we know that is because when you get towards the end of chapter 24, look at verse 17. To the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. That's exactly how God appeared and revealed Himself to His people in chapter 19. That's the experience that the people were gathering in in chapter 20 that caused them to shake and tremble in fear that their lives were about to be snuffed out. And that is who God remains in chapter 24. He remains a consuming fire. And yet, the same consuming fire, the same holy transcendent God whose presence causes the people to feel and to fear as if they are about to come undone, unglued, now His people are sitting in closer proximity to Him, enjoying His presence, and casually, if we can say it that way, I don't know how casual, but at least peacefully eating a meal on the mountain. If God has not changed, what has changed?
Be careful how you answer that. See, my tendency, like as I'm reading through this passage, just, just be honest, right? As I'm reading, oh, God has not changed. The people have changed. No, they haven't. No, they haven't. What has changed is that there is a new way of approach that God has opened up that makes it possible for undeserving sinners to come near to a holy and transcendent God. He is no less than who He has always been. And they in and of themselves, are no more than what they have been. The difference is that God has provided a new way of approach through the atoning blood to seal them and secure them. He has brought these undeserving people into relationship with Him by covenant, and now that they are in that covenant relationship, He says, you people who just five minutes ago could not even come and touch the mountain, now can draw near and can come and eat in my presence. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 10. Start with me at verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, how? By your obedience? By your faith? How do we have confidence to enter the holy place, to enter into God's presence? How? Let me hear it. By the blood of Jesus. Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. It is not our obedience that gives us the confidence to draw near to God. It's the blood of Christ. If we can be even a little bit more provocative, it is not even our faith that gives us the confidence to draw near to God. It is not even our faith, ultimately, that saves us, but Christ that saves us through our faith. Where do we get the nerve to sing some of the songs that we sang this morning? Did, did you hear some of the, some of the songs that, that Wesley hymn? Bold, I approach the eternal throne. Bold, I approach. And claim the crown through what? Through my obedience? Through my faith? Through Christ my own. But even with all of this, Moses and a select number of the elders drawing near, coming on the mountain, moving up, getting closer to God, 
They see something of God's presence even, however that would have been revealed or displayed to them. Not seeing God fully in his essence as he truly is, but seeing something of God's manifest presence, even as glorious as what that is, even in chapter 24, we still haven't gotten to where we ultimately want to be. Because when we go back to Exodus 24, in verse 12 we read that after Moses and the elders had gone up on the mountain and sat and ate under the feet of God, verse 12, Now the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and remain there, and I will give you the stone tablets with the law and the commandment which I have given for their instruction. Verse 15, then Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. Verse 18, Moses entered the midst of the cloud as he went up to the mountain. There is further to go to get into the presence of God, but only one man gets to go in. Only Moses. Everyone else can approach, they can come near, they can get closer now than what they had been previously. But at the end of the day, there's only one man who gets to actually enter deep into the presence of God and commune with God as it were, as a man would with his own friend. Moses, the mediator, the representative. Moses gets to see, in other words, what even the 70 elders and Joshua and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, Moses gets to see more than even what they get to see. And those people got to see even more than what the rest of the people got to see. In the New Testament, when Jesus is with his disciples on the night before he goes to the cross, he tells them, I'm about to leave, and where I am going, you cannot come. Yet. Where's he going? Right, that's what the disciples wanted to know. Where are you going that we're not going to see you anymore? That we can't come with you? He's going to the Father. Moses ascends a mountain to go into the presence of God. Jesus will ascend the heavens to enter into the real, true presence of God. But only Jesus is the one who's allowed to go. For now. Go to John chapter 17. John 17, look at verse 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory which you have given me, for you loved me before the foundation of the world. What we're reading in Exodus 24 is an illustration of the real greater truth that we're all going to be able to get and receive. That is, that is that there is one man who has gone ahead of us, who has ascended into the presence of God, where there is nothing but pure joy and delight and perfection and contentment and satisfaction, and no one can follow him. He must go first. But then he says, but Father, I'm coming to you so that they can come 
and be with me with you. So that what I see right now, they may also see. Do you realize that there is coming a time when you will see what even Moses did not see in Exodus 24? That that's it. That is the hope. That's the reward. God. God is the reward. And the trouble, the challenge that we have in this life is one of sight. We have all these other things, glowing screens, flashing lights, people to call for our attention, noises and sounds, all these things telling us to look, to see, to see if this is where you're going to find contentment and joy and bliss and happiness. And all of Scripture is saying you're never ultimately going to find that. Your heart is never going to be at rest until you see God. And because Jesus has purchased a new covenant for us because he has sealed us and secured us by his blood. He has opened up a new and living way for us so that he can say, where I am, there you will be also. And the glory that I am going to see, you will be there to see it too. And all the other things in this life will look cheap, will pale in comparison. Because we will be with God and we will see Him. As we prepare in just a moment here to enjoy the gift of communion. I wonder if in Exodus 24 you, you heard or you saw some other similarities to what has been going on this morning, probably just flying underneath the radar. You didn't even, you didn't even realize it. Exodus 24 begins with God calling Moses and the people to come to him. How did our service start this morning? With a call to worship. We don't come to God because we have a good idea. We don't come to God in order to find him because he's hiding. We come to God because God calls us to come to him. And we come to him not because of any credit, not because of any accomplishments, not because of any obedience that we can bring to say, this is what gives me the right to enter in. We come to him because he calls to his people to come and enjoy him. And then in chapter 24, after we read that God calls his people to come and to meet with him, we hear that Moses rehearsed and read God's word to the people. That's what's been happening now for the last 30 minutes, 40 minutes, I'm not sure. And after they hear God's word, they move in closer to God's presence, as it were, and they sit and they enjoy a meal together. A meal that signifies that God has opened a way for his people to draw near. And because God has opened this way, we can sit in his presence with peace and security. Knowing that he has provided for us. Knowing that he will protect us. Knowing that he, having called us to himself, will not cast us out. And so we are about to enjoy 
a token meal here together that signifies that just as in Exodus 24, God calls his people to himself, God is calling us to himself day by day through the work, through the blood of Christ, and saying because of the blood of the covenant, you can sit as a covenant people together in my presence without fear of punishment, without fear of judgment, and you can eat in peace and fellowship together enjoying me. That's what we're doing right now. Men, if you would, come forward, please, to help distribute the elements. Before the men begin to move back out, just as they bring the, uh, the bread to you, if you would just simply hold that so that we could partake of it together, I'll let you know when that time is. Okay, men, you can begin to move. In the same way that the meal that the people ate on the mountain in Exodus 24 was made possible because of the covenant relationship that they enjoy with the Lord, we understand in the teaching of the New Testament and by Christ himself that this meal that we enjoy is uniquely set aside for those people who are part of the covenant people of God, who have come to find salvation in Jesus Christ. 
So just as the Lord brings a people out of bondage and slavery to sin in Egypt and causes them to pass through the waters of the sea and to come into his presence, so the Lord through Christ has delivered a people in bondage and slavery to sin, has caused them to pass through the waters of baptism and now to come and to sit together to enjoy a meal. So we read in Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we exult in hope of the glory of God. Bow with me in prayer. Father, we thank you that because of the work of our sacrificial lamb, the perfect Son of God, Jesus Christ, that we have been invited, welcomed in by your own authority, by your own invitation to enter into your presence, having been made clean, and to sit together recognizing one another as brothers and sisters, as children of God, and to sit and to eat this covenant meal together, reminding us of the fact that a new and living way has been opened up to us, that we can sit in your presence without any fear of retribution or condemnation or judgment. Would you cause us, Father, to grow in that confidence and assurance so that we worship you with more sincerity, so that we obey you more fervently? In Jesus' name, amen. Take and eat. Men, if you would come forward to distribute the cup.
Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we will be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Bow with me in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you are obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, and that by shedding your own blood, by giving your life for us, not only have you cleansed us and purchased our forgiveness and our pardon, but you have secured us in this new life, in this grace in which we stand. Thank you for the gift of your spirit that continues to renew us and make us live ever more grateful for the gifts that we have in this salvation life. Help us to worship you more fully for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Take and drink. Andy. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you. You're dismissed.